football back. We just went through a full baseball regular season. I'm telling you, I've got no idea when we're going to see hockey again. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. The NHL has stated on multiple occasions that it hopes to be back in December. The date that gets floated around, and it was even mentioned in a group interview that Gary Bettman and his executive vice president Bill Daly did a week ago in Edmonton, is December 1. That doesn't mean that they've stamped it. It means that they acknowledge that it's floating out there, that it exists. A lot of people have talked about it. I'm here to tell you, even as someone who has been anything but a sky-is-falling type through the coronavirus situation as it relates to sports, that ain't happening. You are not going to see the NHL restart on December 1st. In fact, I don't know when you're going to see the NHL restart, and I seriously doubt that it'll happen in this calendar year. There's a bunch of reasons for that. It's going to be complicated for the league outside the bubbles of Toronto and Edmonton to establish safe settings. That's not insurmountable, obviously. We've seen it happen in baseball. We're now seeing it happen in football. It can be done. I believe that it will be done safely, but it's a challenge. Second is travel. As we saw in Major League Baseball, when the Blue Jays got banished from their own country, the U.S.-Canadian border being closed is not a small thing. Take it from someone who tried to get across it to cover the playoffs. It is very, very closed, and it is showing zero signs of reopening. The NHL, unlike Major League Baseball, has seven teams, not just one, over on that side of the border. That is a significant problem. But the biggest one, by a mile, by a mile, is money. In the NFL, the argument's been made over the years that the league could play in empty stadiums and still be profitable because of the massive scope of the television contracts. That would often be said, you know, jokingly, like such a thing was never actually going to happen, and now here we are, and it's real. The NFL is playing these games. Of course they would rather have fans. Of course they'd rather have all the ancillary revenue that comes with that. But by every account, it doesn't amount to even a fraction of their total monies that comes in. You're talking about eight regular season games, two preseason games, and whatever you get from playoffs versus the multi-billion dollar contracts that the NFL gets from NBC, CBS, ESPN. Major League Baseball and the NBA are at a tier below that when it comes to television contracts. They can't easily withstand it. In baseball's case, 
because there are 81 home games in a regular year, baseball is a lot more reliant on attendance and the money that comes with attendance. And by that, I'm, t- I'm referring to concessions, parking, sponsorships inside stadiums, and that sort of thing. It's not just tickets. But there's nobody out of the big four, out of the big four professional sports, that comes close to this reliance that I'm describing than the NHL. I've read accounts that the NHL gets as much as 37% of its total revenues inside arenas. Again, not just tickets, but everything that's inside an arena, everything that's related to people showing up to watch a hockey game. In this interview that I cited earlier with Bettman and Daly up in Edmonton, Bettman put that figure at 50%. And being that he's got this great relationship right now in a five-year contract uh, with the NHL Players Association, he's not really in a position where he has to lie about that sort of thing. So I, I, I tend to believe that it's somewhere in that range. It's got to be somewhere between that 37 and the 50. That's a lot. That is a lot. In that contract between the league and the Players Association, they've agreed to freeze the salary cap at $81.5 million, which sounds great, except that how are they even going to pay that if they're only bringing in, I don't know, half the money, a quarter of the money? How many fans do you really think will be able to get into NHL arenas in early December. The most optimistic projection for uh, a vaccine is November, like Thanksgiving. I'm sure you've heard and read that too. But that doesn't mean that we're all just going to show up one day and magically have the vaccine. The thing has to get produced. It has to get delivered at sub-zero temperatures. They need to produce uh, and and create the trucks and the equipment to ship the thing. This won't be quick either. By all accounts, according to scientists, epidemiologists, the CDC, the WHO, and everybody else, we're not going to get back to completely normal life, like totally normal life, like you don't have to think about this thing anymore, until midway through 2021 at the earliest. Not to ruin your morning here, but th- if you hadn't already heard that, but that's that's where that is. So how do you get around it? Well, the Penguins yesterday sent out a press release about changes and upgrades they've made at PPG Paints Arena. The one place, by the way, in Pittsburgh that we haven't seen since all of this started, because, you know, the NHL went right into the bubble and there's been no events there of any kind. There's no hockey, there's no concerts, there's no nothing. It's just sitting there, empty, idle. So they've had time, you know, to do some stuff, and and to their credit, they have. A lot of what they put into this release uh, emphasized social distancing, uh, making things available to people who are inside the arena in a contact-free way. 
And some of that has to be done for the long-term uh meaning of the long term of the of the virus, however long this hangs around, whether that's through the coming hockey season. And who knows how much people's habits will just change regardless of once this thing is gone, where they'll be just like they'll just be more aware. You know what I mean? Like I'm not touching that thing. Who knows where that guy's hands have been? You know what I'm saying? So to their credit, they've done some things over there. But how many people do you really think they're going to allow in there? And let's say that they do. Let's say that, like, in places like Florida where they're just allowing everything or Texas where they seem to be moving way ahead of everybody else. And I'm not saying that as a credit. I'm not here to judge which state does what. But let's say that in those places, the Dallas Stars coming off a Stanley Cup run are allowed to fill up American Airlines Arena. Uh, let's say they do that and the stars are making tons and tons of money. And let's see, let's pick somebody. Oh, I know, Pittsburgh. Let's say that Pittsburgh is told you can't have anybody in your arena. And the Penguins are making zero revenue and the stars can make their payroll and the Penguins can't make their payroll. It's, you see where I'm going here? This is really, really tough. Batman uh, was his typical snarky self in facing a lot of questions at this interview. And he didn't really want to hear most of it. And I think that's just because him and Daly and everybody else involved just have no idea. I think they just put everything into their heads and said, we need to get through this situation in Toronto and Edmonton and have a champion and then have a draft and then let's just see where it goes. And... I don't see how you can restart on hope. One of Bettman's statements was, how we start isn't necessarily how we're going to end. And I'm sure that what he meant, even though he didn't specify that, was let's say that we start with arenas half full and then gradually just allow them to get bigger. Well, that's not up to the leagues in any sport. That's not up to Bettman. That's not up to the individual teams. That's up to the states, the local governments, however that works. They can't police that. They can't enforce it. They can't dictate it. How do you put these teams in a position where they can make money to cover payroll? That's what this comes down to. That's what this comes down to. If you have some teams capable of paying their players and other teams that aren't, you are in for a mess of epic proportions. I don't care what kind of labor piece you have. So, no, I don't think hockey is going to start on the 1st of December. I don't think it's going to start later in December, as some people have suggested. I think hockey is going to depend on this vaccine being very effective and very well distributed and very well believed in, I might add. And from there... You're going to need to see a trajectory where if the NHL starts with arenas half full or whatever it is, that they're going to have to know that, okay, if we start in January with a half full, in February we can expect to go up by another percentage. And just play it by ear and have all kinds of cash somehow, some way at their disposal to make sure that they can cover payrolls. 
that's when I think you'll have hockey back. When we come back, yeah, more coronavirus stuff, except this will be about football. Football League is going to announce at some point today formally that the Steelers and Titans will be playing on Monday evening in Nashville. I underscore evening because it it sounds like what they'll do is they'll actually start the game late in the afternoon to make sure that it doesn't cross over or conflict with the existing actual Monday night football game that's on ESPN. The Steelers and Titans will be on CBS. So you're probably looking at something in the 5 o'clock range, um, 6 o'clock Pittsburgh time, something like that. And maybe they push the regular Monday night game on ESPN back a little bit to doubly accommodate this and try to get people to actually watch. You know, you do have two undefeated teams going at it in the Steelers and Titans. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents or who need help with workers' comp, medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they are going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been keeping promises for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, or can just look them up online at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. The Steelers had a bunch to say on this yesterday, and I loved all of it. I mean all of it, because they took exactly the right approach, which is we did our part, we're fine, we don't have this problem. We were told before the season, as Ben Roethlisberger wonderfully put it, that this could happen. And so we've worked hard as a team and as individuals to keep that thing out. And they have. They have. The Steelers had two cases back in the earliest part of training camp, which really doesn't even count because it's before those players became part of that whole environment. That was Jalen Samuels and James Washington, you'll recall. Since then, no issues. Not with team, not with personnel, not with any of the, I believe it's 80 to 85 people that are inside that quote-unquote bubble, so to speak, that, that are allowed to be in contact, direct contact with others. That's That's pretty good. And most teams are like that. The Tennessee Titans aren't. They aren't. They have now four players. I was about to say three, but their fourth player was added to their COVID list yesterday. So it's now four players and five staffers, so it's nine total. As a result, they've had their practice facility in Nashville Shut down by the league while it's undergoing extensive cleaning. They're not allowed to go back in there until Saturday. And for some reason, the NFL is going out of its way, I think, to accommodate the Titans 
for having messed up on this. And I'm not sure that I get that. And I don't want to be, you know, unsympathetic. Mike Rabel, the head coach of the Titans, and of course a former Steeler, said yesterday you have to remember that there's a human aspect to this uh, and that some of those who have caught the virus are experiencing some symptoms. And, and, and I, I get that, and you do have to keep that in mind. However, however, if your mindset, to an extent, is that the virus is a lot like an injury from the football standpoint, from purely the football standpoint, the Titans have other players. There are expanded practice squads for a reason. I don't believe for one second that the NFL pushed this game back a day for health reasons. I really don't. I believe that the NFL pushed this game back because of the football culture and the football mentality that practice is paramount. I really do. They couldn't fathom having a team play another team in the NFL without having X number of days of practice or X amount of time on the field or a walkthrough and everything else because that is the way football people think. There's just no way they could possibly take the field and play a game against somebody without being able to go through motions out on grass. That's too bad. Not not so much for the Steelers. I mean, it's not great for them. They have a short week now to prepare for the Eagles the following week, and that's that's not ideal. But I, you know, that's fairly normal stuff. You know, they'll be able to overcome that. Uh, Mike Tomlin can manage practices in advance of the Eagles to make sure he's not beating his guys into the ground. It's too bad for the league because they've now set their own precedent. They've now set a precedent where every time this happens, they have to be concerned about the number of practices that the other team has. Mind you, they've not spoken one syllable to this effect. Every NFL communication, including the release that they put out yesterday, makes zero mention of accommodating the Titans for practice. But Vrabel blurted it out. Vrabel himself blurted out yesterday that the league was keeping the Titans' practice level in mind. Here's some of what Vrabel uh, had to say on this subject yesterday in his session with Pittsburgh reporters. We were always cognizant that there could be a situation that could arise uh, like one that's happened here in the last couple days. Um, So, you know, I think our our players were understanding somewhat probably a little shocked at first, but didn't get that impression this morning. Also, um, there's been different weeks where where teams have played on short weeks. We've played three games in 13 days, and, you know, there's been other teams that we've played, and I'm sure Pittsburgh's played that have had more days to practice. Um, I'm confident that we will have days to practice and, and to prob- and prepare for, for Pittsburgh. I learned a long time ago not to judge anybody by how they are in press conferences. 
in really in, in any walk of life, including head coaches. But when you hear Vrabel there, does that sound like somebody who was really excessively concerned about this? You know what I'm saying here? Does that sound like somebody who was disappointed in however this was, however this happened, I should say, to the Titans? Did he sound as if there was any lesson learned from this? Did he sound as if he had any kind of any level of remorse or regret or or anything to this? I sure didn't pick up on it. I really didn't. That sounded to me like a head coach who was worried about how he was going to get in his appropriate number of practices. And I'll say it again without pounding the point to death. That's too bad. That's too bad. Because the league is going to run into this situation more than just this. And it's going to end up happening, mark my words, later in a week where there isn't this kind of time to adjust to it. What are they going to do? Just cancel the game? What are they going to do? Say no play? Why? Why? When you have 20 other guys on the practice squad, and you have the ability, more importantly, from the safety standpoint, to turn around tests in less than 24 hours. The Titans did that, incidentally. Their tests were in and out, just like that, between Monday and Tuesday. Boom, boom. They know who's got it. They know who doesn't. And they have all kinds of ways to do contact tracing to get even more specific than that. That's not what this is about That's not what the league was concerned about. That's not even what the Tennessee Titans were concerned about. They were concerned about practice. I'm going to start sounding like Allen Iverson here. They're worried about practice. We're talking about practice. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, The Steelers should clobber this team anyway because they can't defend the run. So this to me is more about precedent and it's more about how it impacts the Steelers heading into the Eagles. We'll see how that goes. I guarantee you there are people around the NFL that are looking at what happened in Nashville and the reaction to it. They aren't appreciating it either. When we come back, baseball. Welcome back. A little bit of baseball to wind things down this morning. Pirates had a, a conference call with Pittsburgh reporters yesterday, meaning Ben Charrington and Derek Shelton, kind of an end-of-the-season thing. It's not something they'd done before. I, I thought that was a pretty neat move uh, on their part. And you have those guys sitting right there next to each other to answer stuff, not just about the team's on-field performance, but about stuff off the field as well, about moves, about payroll, about everything. Um Lots of stuff came up. None of it was more interesting to me than the potential and the promise of significant reorganization of the way the team develops its players. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Visit Grow, Share, Thrive. Org. I'm going to say that one for you again. GrowShareThrive.org. That is the current drive that's taking place 
with the food bank to build the food bank's next generation, next level, if you will. GrowShareThrive.org. One dollar donated can provide enough food for up to five meals. Charrington was blunt and candid, as he tends to be, in discussing things that he liked, things that he didn't like over the 2020 season. And obviously there was a lot more to dislike than the other thing. When you go 19 and 41, when you have a lot of players, some of your most important players regress the way we saw, that's a concern. Mostly at the major league level, but when you also see the lack of fundamentals, uh, especially among players, a lot of them who came up through the Neil Huntington slash Kyle Stark system and just have no baseball awareness or very little and make the same mistakes again and again and again. That's not something that gets corrected at the major league level. There are a lot of fans who, when they watch uh, baseball or the Pirates specifically, and they see a player doing something dumb, whether it's on the base paths or in the field or even at the plate, on the mound, things that are just fundamental things that aren't right. They blame the major league field manager. At Hurdle, he needs to teach everything. Where's Shelton was supposed to be able to fix that stuff. Um, that isn't how it works. I could line up 100 experienced baseball people in front of me right this very second and get 100 nods to this. That doesn't happen at the major league level. You are who you are fundamentally when you arrive in the bigs. You can still learn stuff and whatever else here, but you're basically a formed product by the time you get to the bigs. Some argue that you're that before you get to AAA. The Pirates, as we've seen for more than a dozen years, actually probably a lot longer than that, haven't been good in this regard. They haven't been strong. They haven't been solid. You haven't been able to say, wow, that Pirates team, they were really fundamentally this or that. They've had good, sometimes great, defensive players individually. They've never been a team that you've looked at and said, man, they really just nailed it on the fundamentals. The way you've heard for years about the Cardinals, the Twins, the Rays, other teams like that that are just famous for it. Some of that's reputation, some of that's outdated, but it mostly isn't because they have the same high-grade, experienced, smart, ambitious, hard-working people in the minor league systems that they run, the cultures that they've built of how to do things properly in baseball, the success does carry over from year to year, that when players come up through their system, you see right away, oh, yeah, that's a St. Louis prospect right there. They sh they taught him right. You can tell. Scouts can tell right away. They can watch the way somebody uh, does this tiny little detail and say, oh, that's a player who came up through the Tampa Bay system right there. With Pittsburgh, you know, you just see when they mess up. I know everybody gets all goofy about payroll. At some point or other, the Pirates do have to spend. 
this ain't it. Uh, this team was exposed in a lot of ways in 2020. Some of it, hopefully, they can recover from. Things like Brian Reynolds, Kevin Newman, Josh Bell, that they can bounce back from and have good years in 2021. But ultimately, the solution for this is a lot deeper. It's a lot more involved, and it's a lot more boring, to be honest with you, than what most baseball fans in Pittsburgh will want to hear about. It's going to be about teaching young players coming into the system how to play the game properly. Because when you had your minor league system run by Kyle Stark for a dozen years, and he did, no matter what titles he changed and they hid after Hoka Hay and everything else, he was still running the minor league system. He was 1,000% in control of the minor league system. That's not anything I haven't written. That's not anything I'm breaking news here with. Larry Broadway, who it became clearer yesterday in the Charrington call, isn't going to be around to run the minor league system anymore, was basically Stark's clipboard holder whenever Stark got into hot water over Hoka Hay. If you don't know what Hoka Hay is, go look it up. I'm not going to get into that here. I love Charrington's approach on this. I love the fact that he looked at what happened in 2020 to the Pirates, even though he didn't have a minor league season, even though the only thing he could see of the team's development with his own eyes was 30 kids hanging around playing scrimmages at the Altoona Satellite Camp. I love the fact that he reached the conclusion after this season that what he needs more than anything is to build this system into something that everybody associated with or who follows the Pittsburgh Pirates can be proud of. That's been way, way, way too long in coming. I've been pounding that drum myself for years now, even when the Pirates won those three playoff berths from 2013 to 2015, it wasn't being done through anything internally. It just wasn't. Those were Dave Littlefield's players and free agents and trade acquisitions. Well, now's the chance. Now you have a new smart general manager in who hopefully now will go and get really, really good people to build up that minor league system. It's not what anybody wants to hear as a Pirates fan. I get that. It's going to take a while. I get that. I can hear right now half of everybody who's listening to this moaning about a five-year plan and whatever else here. In an imbalanced, unfair economic system, it's literally the only way you will ever see, again, in your lifetime, the Pirates win a World Series. This is it. There is no other path. There are no shortcuts. Increasing payroll won't do it. It just won't. It won't put 25, 26 players onto your roster that are going to win a championship. Not with the amount that you're capable of spending, even if you spend everything that you can. It's got to be done this way. It's going to take patience. It's worth it. I applaud Charrington for doing this, and I thank you for listening to this. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. 
safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.